0: Welcome to the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. My name is Jason Shoup, and I am the Executive Director of today's sponsor, the Association of Data and Cyber Governance. The association offers a discount on memberships for our podcast listeners when they go to www.adcg.org and use the code word POD. Today, we are led by our host, Jody Westby. We hope you enjoy the episode and don't forget to leave us a rating or a comment.
1: This is Jody Westby, and today I'm joined by Michael Robinson, Chairman and CEO of the Montgomery Strategies Group. Montgomery Strategies Group is a full-service agency with broad expertise in reputation management, crisis and litigation communications, public affairs, and regulatory advocacy and financial communications and transactions. Michael, you have such a deep background, especially in the financial sector, where you have been in communications and policy development at the Securities and Exchange Commission, our topic today, the NASDAQ stock market, FINRA, a leading investment bank, the White House, the Department of Justice. You have Help so many Fortune 100 companies and global consultancies as well. That your experience is just mind boggling, really, of all the things you have been through over these past couple decades. We're so happy to have you with us on this program. There's been a lot of commentary on the SEC cybersecurity requirements, but not much from your perspective the communications, brand, and regulatory management view. So let's dive into this. I know our listeners are going to really love this podcast episode. The SEC's proposed amendments to its rules to enhance and standardize disclosure from public companies about their cybersecurity risk management, their cyber risk governance, and incident reporting. among other things, the proposed rules call for material incidents to be reported on Form 8Ks within four business days of the incident. Additionally, the proposed rules would require periodic reporting about a company's policies and procedures to identify and manage cybersecurity risks, its board of directors' oversight of cybersecurity risk, and management role and expertise in assessing and managing cyber risk and implementing the policies and procedures to do the, the cybersecurity program. This proposal from the SEC further would require annual reporting or certain proxy disclosure about the board of directors cybersecurity expertise if any so let's let me start by asking what's driving this and why now well
2: first of all Jody, thank you so much. it's terrific to be here and I think this is a truly important issue and a real turning point for corporate America, writ large, and especially board of directors. And, and I'm going to focus on that in a minute. When it comes to why now, there are a number of drivers. The first is from the corporate side. Companies want clarity. You know, Traditionally, the SEC has had a backward-looking definition of material risk. They won't tell you what it is in advance, but they can look backward and say, oh, no, in retrospect, we thought that was material and you should have disclosed it. Uh-huh. So on the one hand, companies really do want more clarity. But on the other hand, and you, know, you can see that by the way this rule is structured and the commentary that came as a result of the proposal, there is a conflict across the federal government with varying rules. You've got the SEC rule, you've got a number of others that are being proposed. And so in the search for clarity, it's actually created confusion. And that's really at the heart of what this is. Looking at it strategically, the SEC itself is in the midst of a probably once in a 40 to 50 year regulatory tear. They have proposed more rules on everything from climate change to crypto to cyber, and that's just in the letter Cs, in the last six to nine months than the commission has done for years before that. Right. There is a very short comment period for this and for others for a very political reason, which is to say if the opinion polls would be believed, the Republicans are going to win the House of Representatives, potentially the Senate. That puts them in the position. To exert enormous influence over the commission, its budget, where it can go, where it can't go. Right. At the moment, and the Biden administration has recognized this: that for them to be able to satisfy the deep commitment of the Progressive Caucus for more regulation, the SEC, the CFTC, the CFPB are the only tools that they have. Is Congress being so deadlocked, isn't going to be able to pass legislation. But regulation can be done much more quickly.
0: Yeah,
1: that's really insightful. You mentioned about creating confusion. Do you see areas where there were conflicts between or inconsistencies between some of the cyber regulations, for example, from the SEC versus, say, the financial Area and I, it doesn't have to be financial area. I just wondered when you mentioned whether there had been any noted conflicts between other rules about cybersecurity and the SEC proposed ones.
2: Absolutely, and you know if you look at the Chamber of Commerce comment letter, which was very extensive, they they took 39 pages. Uh, they specifically call out the work that CISA is doing on infrastructure issues. Well, if you're, <clears throat> pardon me, if you're an energy company, a Chevron, an Exxon Mobil, now you've got two conflicts. You don't know what to do. Uh. And so one of the things that companies really want is clarity, which is why, I mean, if you look at the accounting profession for a moment, we have U.S. Gap, generally accepted accounting principles. You don't have New York Gap and Texas Gap and California <laughs> <laughs> Gap. You have U.S. Gap. Well, There's a reason for that. And fiber is that important. We all stipulate to that, but part of that elevation of its prominence and its importance means you need to have some consistent standards. And there still are a lot of open questions. So for example, and this was pointed out again in some of the comment letters. If there's an active investigation going on by law enforcement, FBI, for example, how do you Resolve that tension where law enforcement may be asking you to not say anything because they're close to tracking someone down. And yet you have another part of the federal government saying you've got to say something. Yeah. Is there a confidential mechanism to report it? So that yes, other companies could share in that knowledge and potentially harden their systems. Unfortunately, we're we're in a position where You've got all these different proposals on different sides of a very tippy canoe, and running from one side of the canoe to the other side of the canoe generally causes it to capsize, and that's not good for anybody.
1: I love that tippy canoe analogy. You mentioned CISA, the Critical Infrastructure and Cybersecurity Agency, with Department of Homeland Security, and um, you talked about the SEC and their Flurry of regulations. But you know, at the same time, look at CISA and DHS. There's been a flurry of alerts and executive orders coming out, the White House on cybersecurity. And so there's been a, you're right, a very significant push toward regulation in this area, certainly since President Biden came into the White House. May 9th was the deadline for public comments on this rule proposal. So you mentioned the Chamber of Commerce. What's been the reaction and what do you think will happen next?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, the SEC had about 100 comment letters, all very deeply researched, very insightful comments. uh, And it was uh, a wide range of law firms and accounting firms and corporations and trade associations, all weighing in on various aspects of this. Interestingly, you saw something from the business software alliance, the BSA, Mm -hmm. which represents commercial software makers. And their concern was that if a company were to disclose it's currently the victim of a cyber incident, the malicious actor might Increase their penetration. they might hurry up and try and get as much as they can before their access was cut off. So there are people pointing out very important issues. How the SEC resolves it I think is still an open question. You know some of, if you look at the comment letters, some of the lengthiest and most deeply researched were from the healthcare industry because, yeah. as we well know, They have been victims of ransomware, and they're all afraid of, and this is what the SEC is using to drive this, that the Russia-Ukraine conflict will eventually have a second-level impact on them. Mm -hmm. We saw a comment letter, interestingly, from Senators Reid, Warner, Cortez Masto, Kramer, Collins, King, and Wyden, where they were pushing their own piece of legislation in this context. The Cyber Disclosure Act that would require companies to disclose whether they have a cyber security expert on their board. And if they don't, why not? Why don't they? And so eventually this rule proposal will be replied to, it'll be debated by the commission. The commission will pass it on a party line vote in some form, it may change marginally. I don't think it's going to change materially. It's not, a, there's no appellate process after this. Potentially in the next Congress, the House, the Senate might try to rescind. But once the SEC votes, corporate America will up because here it comes.
1: Yeah. So by fall, we should maybe have a final rule.
2: Oh, I think that's right. I think they very much want to get it done, certainly by. The Q4 reporting period, yeah. which coincidentally is uh, right around the midterm elections.
1: Well, you mentioned reporting on the incidents, and you know, having done a number of forensic investigations, one what we always learn and experience in every single one of them, practically, is that you don't really know what happened immediately. It's an unraveling process and what you start with may not look anything like what you end up with so it can be risky for companies to go out and announce they're having this kind of tack or that something happened because it may be the picture may look very different in 24 48 hours or 72 hours and sometimes sometimes it can take weeks to unravel what really happened if you're dealing with massive amount of logs and and for global networks So it can be very difficult for someone to know within the first 72 hours with any degree of certainty what really happened. And in my experience, companies are often behind in their incident response planning and their business continuity disaster recovery planning, which a major cyber attack can trigger. So certainly with ransomware, those attacks trigger not only the incident response plan, but the business continuity disaster recovery plan as people were trying to recover their systems and data. So this is an area where the rubber may meet the road, so to speak. In light of your background in cybersecurity and crisis communications, what hurdles do companies and their boards face when they have to deal with these issues?
2: You know, Jody, we see it all the time as well. And, you know, we usually begin by talking about the skewed perception when it comes to a cyber incident. And just by way of example, if the quarter bank was robbed by an armed person, then generally speaking, people perceive the perpetrator, the criminal, as the wrongdoer. However, if a bank were breached, the perception is the bank's at fault for not having adequate systems in place. Mm -hmm. So you begin in a situation like this almost always in a perception deficit. And the only way that we have found over time to be successful in combating that is to have planned in advance. And, And the planning really is in three components. The first is a very robust crisis communications playbook, not a plan, a playbook that really is actionable in the moment. The key components of that are a vulnerability analysis, uh, a stakeholder audit, the preparation of actual materials that are tied to the scenarios that you think are most likely to occur. And that's all coupled with an internal decision-making matrix. How do we evaluate what's happened in peacetime what are those metrics we can put in place now so that when something happens we know how escalate or de-escalate as you say as we learn more information over time you have to then once you have that plan that playbook in place then you have to test it you have to do a really deep tabletop crisis exercise where you get the executive team in a room they have no idea of the scenario you're about to put on top of them. And you spend four, five, six hours with that team continuing to ramp up the pressure. It's really pressure testing the plan to see where the gaps are. And they're going to be gaps. They're just inevitably going to be gaps. So you can fix those before you really need them. And then the final piece is the communications training, the media training. Because there is a need to communicate, irrespective of whether it's the SEC deadline or another deadline. You're going to need to communicate. And you know, we can talk about, uh, in a minute, what those best practices are for how you communicate in an environment where you know it's going to be changed, the facts are going to change almost every day, if not every eight hours. <laughs>
1: That was, at the top of my mind, the best practices, so because a serious incident is one that often is not clear on its face what has happened. So what are the best practices for overcoming those challenges and communicating effectively, especially in situations where, by definition, the facts are unclear at the outset and are almost certain to change over time?
2: And it's the same, you know, if you look at it, it's the same in a lot of situations. It might be the same in an oil spill or a chemical fire or a cyber incident. And the way to look at it is what we typically refer to as a modular approach. There are things you can begin to say and go no further. You can always add on to them. Uh, You know, my children were younger, we used to have a lot of Legos in our house. And you could build a little thing with Legos. And you can add more Legos as you go forward. You can build a bigger model. Well, that's really what you do. So you begin with what you know. Go no further. The biggest challenge in these situations is members of the executive team, broadly defined, got to be members of the executive team because they never uttered the three words, I don't know. But those are, in many ways, the most important words you can utter in a situation like this.
1: And they're always upset in this situation, <laughs> right,
2: but you have to under what you can't do is try and bring bring clarity to a situation that is defined by entropy, right? Mm-hmm. You just can't. You, you know what you know, and I'll know more later. And when I know more later, I will tell you, mm-hmm. the thing you should never do is get over in front of your ski. Never guess, never cross your fingers and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. The reason you have a plan is not only so you have language that everybody agrees, from your lawyers to your investor relations professionals to your internal communications professionals to your outside counsel, is so you know what to say. And the reason you have a plan is so you have that matrix to know when to say it.
1: That's right. And that playbook that you mentioned is is critical to that but also what you've just described is the brain playbook training those executives so that they their brain knows to function with i can only do with this situation with what i know now and i have often found especially with senior level executives they're wanting to sugarcoat or to say oh it's not a problem they didn't get any of our data when nobody really knows that And that can really be a problem later on, certainly for the communications people like yourselves. What are some of the most important stakeholders that a company needs to communicate with or involve? How can they operationalize that engagement?
2: Absolutely. The first thing to understand when you're doing the stakeholder audit, which ideally is part of your plan, right, is that... 5, 10 years ago, you could silo communications. You could talk to investors with one set of messages. You could talk to employees with another set of messages. Those walls have disappeared. What you say to one stakeholder, you say to all of them. So the messaging to your stakeholders is the same. The means by which you communicate it may be slightly different.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And depending on the type of incident the priority of those stakeholders may be changing. So let's just say, for example, there's been a cyber incident. The company doesn't know how far it's gone. And they may not, for whatever reason, have decided to prioritize employees. Well, depending on the organization, if it's a tech company, for example, almost every employee has stock. Whether they bought it in the open market, whether it's part of their ESOP, whether it's part of their retirement or they have options. And so they're also, as employees concerned, did they get my data? My PII, is that at risk? So right. you have to really think through, this is not just about talking to the analysts. This is not just talking about all the stated AGs. You also, when you go into one of these things, you accept certain things as a given. Whenever there's a cyber incident, you can be sure that the plaintiff's lawyers are going to issue a press release the next day that says, we have launched an investigation of the board of directors of company XYZ. Mm -hmm. And a company should just ignore that. It's just white noise. It happens every time. It's search and replace. Don't spend any time on it. But in the moment, if you're not ready for it, you can waste valuable executive time focused on something that isn't a priority because that stakeholder group is not going to have a material impact on you.
1: Right, that's a good point. The proposed rule requires disclosure of cybersecurity expertise on a board. I think it should also require information about crisis communications and whether there's a crisis communications plan or a playbook. Do you have thoughts about that? I've never heard anyone suggest that there should be crisis communications expertise on the board with respect to a cyber incident. But but to me, it seems if you're saying you should have cybersecurity expertise, it's hand in glove to say you should also have communications expertise.
2: And that's precisely right, Jody. I mean, if you think about the uh, boards of directors and, you know, they, there's all sorts of insurance, right? There's, as you well know, there's D&O yeah. insurance. Well, you should also have reputational insurance. And that's what this is, right? This is reputational insurance. And there there really are two components of reputational insurance. One is everything we've just talked about so far. The plan, the research that took to develop it, the practice, the training, all of that. But the other side of it is, and you should have these at the ready Who are your third party who, if you needed to, you could deploy in a moment of crisis? People on the outside, academics, former regulators, people of that nature, who, in and of themselves, have their own established credibility, who can say, you know what? XYZ company never skimped on cyber. They were Mm -hmm. one of the leaders, and it can happen to them we have a larger issue. In other words, you as an organization are always going to say you did your best and I would expect you to do that. But if someone else with credibility says that, that can at least begin to level the playing field. And and the final point I would make is in this type of communications, your goal is simply to get back to zero. wrestle to a tie. Mm -hmm. You're not going to end up with the lovely profile on the front page of the wall street journal so-called a head that's not going to happen you're trying to get back to neutral almost every journalist with the exception of some who are terrific at what they do don't have a background in the details of cyber technology and too often we see you see i see technical terms being used to try and explain a situation that simply just goes over the head of not only the journalist, but anybody reading it. Again, why you need a plan, why you need language that seems unduly obvious, but is the only way you can communicate clearly with all the background noise that's going on.
1: Yeah, that's right. What are some of the most common pitfalls that companies should avoid in the rush of a crisis?
2: Yeah, and we see it all the time. The first thing is, don't panic. We see a lot of panic. We see a lot of useless energy spent talking about, oh, you know, a journalist broke a story. We're going to go after that reporter for libel. Or (laughs) we've got to get a correction. And that just completely misses the strategic imperative here, which is to say, eyes on the prize. How do we begin to explain what's going on and do it in a rational way? Don't guess as to the extent of the incident. You'll get it wrong every time. Mm -hmm. You can't know. To the extent that you can talk about process, what you are doing you've reached out to law enforcement, you've brought in a third-party expert. All of that demonstrates both motion and concern, and that's important. Another important thing to remember here is that as a company, as an organization, you don't get to decide when this is, quote, over, right? You can't just say, oh, well, it's fixed. We've moved on. That decision is made by All the other stakeholders. It's made Mm -hmm. by the media, it's made by potentially prosecutors, regulators, employees. So you need to, even though you may have crested the wave, you need to keep communicating, keep demonstrating that you know, whatever lessons have come out of this, that you've not only learned them, but implemented them. And finally, it's really important to always communicate internally with the understanding that whatever you say internally will become external, usually within about 60 seconds.
1: You Um, know, listening to you, in my world, all the things that we talk about as most common pitfalls, none of these things are really usually brought up because the point of this episode is we cybersecurity people need to broaden our horizons sometimes and think more about these communication aspects. But one thing I have seen in investigations that we've been involved with is a company's reluctance to bring in an outside crisis communications expert. They say, oh, no, we've used this firm and and they know us well. And I never have understood that, but it usually seems that, yeah, but that person knows the firm, but that person doesn't know how to handle this kind of crisis cyber situation. Have you encountered that? We see it a lot.
2: And usually, the arc of what happens is they'll use their internal resource or their marketing agency for the first 24 to 36 hours. And they'll realize they're falling farther and farther behind. Right. And then they think about it in terms of, well, who really knows this? And you know, when we get involved, oftentimes, it's with either the general counsel or outside counsel who brings us in. And they make a very simple point, which is you wouldn't use your labor and employment lawyers to litigate an IP case. (laughs) It's the same thing, right?
1: We had one client bring in their government contracts attorney for a major exfiltration of data to Russia. (laughs) I mean, different skill set. Different skill set, Exactly. exactly. Well... This has been very enlightening. Thank you so much. We're running out of time, but thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us today. We'll see what the final rules look like and perhaps have a follow-on session.
2: Delighted to do it, Jody. Thank you and uh, look forward to being uh, partner with you going forward.
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on the U.S. National Privacy and Cybersecurity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's podcast and want more content about the issues we've covered, you can visit www.adcg.org. The Association for Data and Cyber Governance is the leading association connecting all aspects of data management, cybersecurity, and governance. Our listeners can use the code POD at checkout for a discount on all memberships. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us next week.